You're going to need your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 32. I'm going to read it in just a minute. Now, I don't know if your hearts can take this, but we're not going to do the Scripture reading like we normally do it, where I have you stand at the beginning and read it and then have you sit down. We're going to do it differently. So just strap onto your seatbelt. It'll be okay. I'm going to read it a little ways into the message. So uh, here we go. Back in the late 1990s, there was a movie that came out entitled The Apostle, starring Robert Duvall. It was a very powerful movie. Robert Duvall played a very, very passionate, a very, very sincere and gifted preacher and evangelist. He was uh, extremely used by God. He was very creative. He was very earnest. uh, And he he had the power of preaching the trouble was that his personal life was a train wreck. He was, uh, he was a mess, personally. And uh, his wife, he found out, was having an affair. And so he violently confronted her lover. And he spent the rest of the movie running from the law and still trying to be God's disciple. And somebody who, was, uh, who had watched that movie commented on that and said something that I think is pretty profound and sort of summarizes everything. He says, here was a man for whom the call of God on his life was everything. Here was a man on whom the call of God was everything. The call of God on his life was everything. And yet, he did not take care of his relationships with others. The call of God was on his life mightily, powerfully, And yet, he did not take care of his relationship with others. Now, I think you could just change the name from that movie and you could plug in Jacob from the Old Testament and you have uh, the very same description of the very kind of personality that Jacob was. You've already heard about Jacob. Uh, Jim Hill preached about Jacob just a few weeks ago while I was away on vacation and I listened to the audio file uh, on the church's webpage. He did a great job. He was focusing on chapter 28, Jacob's ladder story. But this is another story. Uh, Jacob, most of us will remember, uh, was, was a cheat. And he was, uh, he was not always as God would have him to be. Uh, three things that we know about Jacob. He, he cheated and he lied. Secondly, he always put himself first. When something happened, he figured out how to advantage himself. He, he never got past that. And here's a third thing about Jacob, and just see if this, rec- if this reminds you of anybody you know. When he got in a jam, which he himself had made, then he would pray for God to get him out of the jam. Sound like anybody you know? Get himself in a jam by some really poor choices, and then would pray like crazy, God, get me out of this jam. If you get me out of this jam, I'll never do it again. Sounds like some people we know, if we look in the mirror, honestly. Well, Jacob had lied and cheated to his father and to his brother Esau. He had cheated Esau out of birthright. He had cheated Esau out of blessing. He had deceived in every way that's possible. He even lied and cheated and finagled with his own father-in-law and and all those sorts of things. And now it's 20 years later, after this, this breakup of his relationship with his brother Esau, And he finds out that Esau is coming toward him with 400 troops, with 400 people. Now, could there be just a little bit of guilty conscience going on with Jacob? If not, there should have been. And he gets all panicky. 
because his brother, whom he's cheated many, many times, is coming after him with 400 people, even though it's been 20 years, and Jacob doesn't know what to expect. And so true to form in the 31st chapter of of, uh, Genesis, right before the the scripture that I'm going to read in a moment, uh, true to form, Jacob does two things that are equally revealing of his personality. Number one, he prays. And that's what you do when you get in a jam, right? He prays. He says, oh God, you got to help me. This is not good. I'm in trouble. I need you. The second thing that's very revealing of his character is after he prayed, he started manipulating the situation. And both are equally true of his personality. He started sending his, father, his brother bribe gifts to sort of mollify him and, and to get him out of his angry mood, thinking that he could always buy love and buy friendship. And you know, the trouble is, that's how a lot of us pray and live. We pray, but we want to stay in control. We pray, but we never really turn the situation over to God. And that's basically where Jacob was at that that particular moment. Now, as we approach the scripture that I'm going to read uh, for this morning's message, we're finding Jacob spending a very sleepless night getting ready for who knows what when Esau, his brother, will arrive. And I'm going to take up in chapter 32, verse 22, the same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said to him, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. So Jacob is is preparing for that that horrible confrontation, he thinks, with with his brother Esau. He sends his family on ahead across fording the river, all of his possessions. Now, note the language in the scripture. All of, his, all of his family is gone and everything he had, everything he owned in earthly possessions has gone across the river. He stayed behind and he spends a sleepless night, insomnia, tossing and turning as his past sort of catches up with him. I've spent some sleepless nights. Have you? Sort of struggling with God, wrestling with the demons, trying to figure out what to do, evaluating the mistakes I've made. We've all been there, haven't we? That kind of a struggle. 
And it seems like at nighttime when we're all alone, maybe that's why we don't like silence and we don't like being alone and we don't like nighttime because at nighttime when everything's quiet, all the stuff in our life bubbles up. And some of the stuff that bubbles up isn't pretty. And uh, we're alone with our thoughts and we're alone with our regrets. But the storyteller in Genesis is a master storyteller because I want you to notice that an important detail of the story is withheld from us. When the story starts, the description of the one wrestling with Jacob is described as a man. Twice that that being is described as a man wrestling with Jacob And it's only at the end of the story when Jacob says, I have seen God face to face, that we realize that Jacob is wrestling with a divine being. Now, I want you to notice the scripture in Genesis never calls that being an angel. That is uh, only later in Hosea, the 12th chapter, later in our Old Testament, Hosea chapter 12, verse 4, that this one is called an angel. But we'll call this one an angel, some kind of divine being. And lots of artists have tried to capture this. Uh, That's on the front of your bulletin. Uh, There's a lot of artwork that tries to picture Jacob wrestling with the angel. I remember from my childhood seeing these pictures in Sunday school, leaving such a vivid impression on my imagination as I thought about this this, uh, mammoth struggle that's taking place. It's, It's really a powerful story. Some kind of divine being. And I, and I find it really interesting that of all the things the angel could have said to Jacob, the angel asks a question, what is your name? Now, you'd have to assume maybe the angel already knew that or could have easily found out. So that was probably not an information kind of question. You know, sometimes we ask questions not because we need to know, but the but the person we're asking needs to think about the answer. You know, good teachers will do that. They know the answer, but they'll ask you a question, so you'll arrive at an answer. So this question is not for the angel. This question is for Jacob. Jacob, what is your name? Making Jacob say out loud with a gulp, my name is Jacob. And you know what Jacob means? It means supplanter or trickster or cheater or con man. My name is con man. Because Jacob had to come face to face with his own dark side. He had to come face to face with his own, with his own sinister personality. He had to name it. And sooner or later, we all have to face the darkness in our own souls. We have to say out loud the sinner that we are, the sin that we've committed, the, the deception that we have lived. We have to name that. We have to name the darkness. Here is a is a great, uh, great quote that I ran across from a, uh, a playwright, August Wilson. Confront the dark parts of yourself. Your willingness to wrestle with your demons will cause your angels to sing. We have to have the courage to confront the dark parts of ourselves. And when we do that, that's, that's, on, that's only when the angels can finally sing. It's only then that the angels can finally sing. 
And you sense that for all of his failures, there was something truly beginning to turn and change in Jacob's life. He, he seems to have, in that wrestling match, experienced something profound. Uh, because there's this, there's this cry that comes from him as he says to the angel, I will not let you go until you bless me. Recognizes that he needed something that he couldn't do for himself. I wonder if we've ever prayed that here at First Baptist. I wonder if you've ever prayed that in your personal life. I will not let you go, God, until you bless me. I wonder if God's looking for those kinds of disciples, followers of Jesus. Someone who will say, I would rather die than miss out on what God has for me in my life. What would happen if we came to the place of passionate love in following Jesus Christ that we could honestly pray and mean, I would rather die than miss what you have for me, God. I want to be yours. I want to be true. I want to follow you. There was a turning. Something changed in Jacob because finally he saw himself. And I think finally he saw God. And when he saw himself and he saw God, then he could see his brother. We don't have time to develop it, but in the next chapter, chapter 33, Esau comes with his 400 men, and Esau and Jacob have reconciliation. There is forgiveness. There is the burying of the animosity. There is the new beginning because Jacob was able to put the past behind. And uh, there's an interesting playfulness to this scripture. Uh, Verse 22, it's night. Remember, that's his uh, horrible night that he has uh, as he's tossing and turning and then wrestling with the, with the angel. Verse 24, it's dawn. You know, dawn is not darkness and it is not daylight. It's in between, sort of like Jacob, right? Not totally good, not totally bad, just sort of Jacob. So there's night, verse 22. Verse 24, there's dawn. And then in verse 31, it's daylight. Jacob can see himself, Jacob can see God, and Jacob can see his brother. The sun shining, he can see. He can see spiritually as well as physically. And Jacob got two new things from that wrestling match. You want a pop quiz? You know what they are? The first thing he got was a new name. Jacob, your name will now be Israel. He's the father of the, of the twelve for whom the tribes are named, the tribes of Israel. Jacob meant trickster or con man. Israel means prince of God or one who prevails. His name is changed. So he got a new name, but he also got a new limp because the angel had struck his hip. And he walked with a limp. But the limp was there to remind Jacob, Jacob, you're not, you're not in the driver's seat. God is. And sometimes God allows us to limp to remind us we're not in the driver's seat. God is. The limp was there to remind Jacob, Jacob, 
You're not in charge. You're not doing this. God is. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I would say to you, if you're bringing to it all of your stuff saying, I can do this by myself, I can manage life by myself, you're never going to get there. It's only when we recognize that our life is unmanageable without Jesus that we cannot do it ourselves. That's when God can work in our lives. When we learn that there is that limp, there is that lack in us, that God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You know, God's love has a purifying effect. It did on Jacob, it does on me, it does on you. There's a purifying effect to God's love. God keeps loving us until we're so embarrassed and cornered by our own sins and mistakes. There's this purifying effect to God's love that just sort of uh, washes out the putridness and the, and the gunk and the stuff and the nastiness. And there's a sense in which we have to get past our self-confidence We have to learn to limp. We have to learn to live past self-confidence to realize we can't do this by ourselves. And it's when our self-confidence is shaken that sometimes God can do something important with us. It's when our self-confidence is shaken that we can finally have a right relationship with someone else. It's not about us having it all together all the time. It's about us being open to the brokenness to make us better. As we prepare for this very special communion meal together, we are going to be talking and thinking more about brokenness as Jesus broke the bread that night to feed the disciples. So today, bread and nourishment can only happen if there is brokenness. And when Jesus took the cup and he gave it to his disciples, they were all aware that you can't really have this juice, this drink, unless the grapes are squashed, unless there's a brokenness. And so it's in brokenness that wholeness comes. That's the message of the cross. That's the nourishment of Jesus. We say it every time we share the supper, but the meal is open to everyone. You don't have to be Baptist or a member here. It's open to all. There's an insert in the bulletin that talks a little bit more about what we believe this meal uh, represents, how we serve it, why we do it this way. In servant spirit, the deacons serve others as we model serving one another and serving Christ. But we want you to make this a time of spiritual openness. What is it that's broken in your life that God can use? What is it that's broken in your life that can allow God an opening to work in your life? What is it that you can give to Him as you stop running and trust Him and depend upon Him? This is all about the love of God this morning that he would send Jesus Christ to suffer and die in our place for us, to be broken for us, that we might be whole. The message of Jesus, the message of the cross. Let's pray together.